Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone Season 3, Episode 3. I am your lived experience host, Joe Ambridge. And I'm psychotherapist and relationship counsellor Mark Fielding and Joe's co-host. Um, and today we are revisiting trauma, but we are starting from the, as we have with the other two episodes, we're talking about the road to recovery from trauma, so the start of your journey. Um, and we will be joined by a guest shortly, who I will introduce. Um, as I mentioned before, we've visited trauma before. Trauma can come in many different forms. Um, what are those, some of those forms, Mark? Yeah, I mean, trauma is something we've talked a lot about on, on the show. I mean, yeah, trauma I mean, can be very individual, but, you know, PTSD, I guess, is the most kind of, you know, most recognised, you know, form of trauma. Um, and it is just, the, you know, the processing, I think, something that has been traumatic, you know, it is difficult. I mean, the brain keeps coming back to it. Um, there can be, you know, there can be triggers. There can be lots and lots of symptoms, really. I mean, I, I'm going to leave it to, to to our guest, really, because I think the, you know, the symptoms can be very, very individual. And I think the working through trauma also is something very, very, I think, individual. I mean, often, you know, if people that have experienced trauma in find trying to manage the triggers, you know, the, you know, the most kind of kind of pertinent way to deal with it and there's lots of strategies for that I mean mindfulness is one you know being in the body but um yeah but I'll, 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 yeah. I'll defer to our guest really at this point awesome. yeah so I would like to introduce our third guest this season we are joined by is it Lydia or do you mind if we call you Lily yeah Lily's fine perfect well thank you for joining us Thanks for having me. Just um, give us a little insight into your story with regards to trauma. Yeah, mind. so basically um, there's quite a lot of trauma in my family, actually. We have quite a lot of generational trauma. Um, so I was basically born into, um, what would you call, like a basic broken family. Um, a lot of us fit the criteria for CPTSD, um, including myself, and I do have as you said before, quite a lot of triggers and um, different styles of trauma, like different types of trauma that I've sustained over the years. It's sort of morphed into different, something completely different now that I'm much older. Um, but, yeah, as a child, the symptoms were very different as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, Lily, could I ask you if it's okay, just tell us a little bit around the symptoms when you were much younger. What, what, what went on for yeah. you and, and, and how well I guess it must have been confusing really at that when you're much younger yeah yeah so when I was little it was just a lot of anxiety I always felt really sick in my tummy when I was little um I had a lot of I, I do have something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome which is um with research coming out these days that they're, they're thinking it's more and more connected to CPTSD it's sort of that cortisol adrenaline breaking down your soft tissues throughout your body. So I did have a lot of issues with my body growing up. So I was sort of failure to thrive and had gastric symptoms and, um, yeah, just a whole host of not very nice symptoms as well as just being quite unwell a lot of the time under the weather. Um, but, yeah, the majority of my mental health issues was just anxiety and uh, I guess just feeling alone and scared. And, and I guess undiagnosed. I mean, it, it, what, yes. did it take a while for, you know, for you to yeah. find out exactly what was going on? Yeah, I thought you might say that. 
Yeah, I was about 23 when I was finally diagnosed. And it was um, after I actually found out in the middle of my nursing degree, which was funny enough, um, we were talking about um, normal thought patterns. And I ever, she sort of said, you know, you shouldn't hear any voices in your head. And everyone went white. And then she said, no, not the little voice that tells you what to do. And I was like, okay, how about if you hear like a song playing in the background and a memory and then maybe it's just sort of, like having a thought about something that happened later earlier in the day and she's like no you shouldn't have that many thoughts in one go and I'm like oh, okay well there must be something going on there so it's not really something that's widely discussed until you sort of pick up on things did you want to come in Joe? yes what kind of um traumas had you been through if you don't mind me asking um, so a lot of it when I was younger was just like emotional, um, some physical, um, but yeah, a lot of it's sort of been neglect and um, yeah, emotional abuse over the years, um, especially the last seven years for me have been the worst I've been through. Um, that's been hospital neglect and abuse and um yeah, that's, that's definitely taken a massive toll on my body and hence why I'm still in bed now with this injury. And I'm just thinking around, I mean, if it's okay, well, yeah, because I've, there's been a lot of trauma, you know, over the last few years, but just kind of just going back and just staying back for, for a mm -hmm. bit. I just wondered about the diagnosis. I mean, yeah. was that helpful? I mean, I guess it must have cleared things up. I mean, not knowing for all those years what was going on must have been really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just really confused. I didn't know why I'd forgotten a lot of my life. Um, I didn't know where a whole heap of memories had gone and time and, um, yeah, just that anxiety. And I guess I had a lot of... Um, symptoms of like ADHD and autism as well that just sort of went under the radar for many many years because I was very bubbly and outgoing and had a lot of eye contact and was yeah just very friendly and um, able to communicate well so I think because I was so high functioning that's why I sort of slid under the radars but I was I, I was very aware of hiding my symptoms if, if someone sort of caught it um, one of the ones that sort of showed up first was like obsessive hand washing at about seven um, after my sister played a trick on me and said that I'd poisoned myself. Um, so I would wash my hands many, many times a day. But once that sort of got picked up one, I was like, oh, I better change it up or they're going to know something's wrong. And then I guess with the, you know, with the kind of autism with the ASD and with the ADHD, I mean, the, 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 I mean that's really common, isn't it? That these, you know, yeah. these things can be, you know, undiagnosed and, mm -hmm. you know, just leaving people just, yeah, having to kind of cope with things and not really understanding yeah. what's going on. So, so it was helpful getting the diagnosis. So when you're doing your nursing degree, and then that came, you know, came to the fore. Did yeah, it help. Did it help make sense the things that were been? It sort of. Yeah, it sort of clicked into place. I just, it took a long time for me to be like, oh, maybe that's me. But um, it was, yeah, a lot of work from my trauma psychs um, that sort of broke it down and just, you know, told me I had been through trauma because, you know, it's not a typical, you know, being abused every single day, being hit and burnt or nasty things every day. It's just, 
very prolonged going on and different styles all the time. So it's it's harder to pick up on when you're a kid. You don't think of that as, you know, trauma. Yeah. And this is the complex trauma, isn't it? It's not, you know, yes. it's not just one thing. It's many, many, many different situations. Mm-hmm. Over it's many years. years, yeah. 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 And do you have much of a support network, would you say? I do now, yes. Um, I'm actually with an amazing group of support workers. Um, as it's a company called Upbeat in Melbourne, Victoria. Um, so they're trauma-informed, all of the workers there. Um, so I have a big community of people around me as well as because I've become quite unwell lately since I had a fall and an accident with my upper spine. Um, I now have 24-hour nursing services as well who are also trauma-informed. So I do have quite a good connection of people around me. Yeah, and the, the trauma informed in the you know, in the communication that we that we had initially. I mean, there's, <laughs> I mean, maybe we just come to the in the more more present now. I mean, feeling that hospitals really do not have the level of trauma informed staff that they should have. This is something that you, you feel, mm-hmm. isn't it, through through the no. experience? Yeah. Oh, um, we have showed up there um, in a peak traumatic event. I was very, very triggered. Um, And the worker that I had with me at the time was trauma-informed and they were trying to refuse her access. Um, She was one of the only ones that knew when I was going to be um, in a dissociative state or whatever. She just knew how to deal with it. Um, and they basically said, no, we're not required to have any trauma-informed staff. We don't have to have anyone here at the building um, at all. And I was like, really? Like in the emergency department, like that's everybody that's in the emergency department has had some type of trauma, Mm. especially if it's an acute trauma, you know, who deals with those situations? And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's not a requirement, so we don't have it. And I was just sort of shocked. I was like, wow, I, I thought by now we would have trauma-informed staff at least you know one staff member that can deal with these things but no that's not the case yeah it's ridiculous (laughs) i find it staggering i mean same as joe i find that staggering yeah yeah it's it's just mind-blowing and the fact that i had to basically after the third admission i had to hire my own trauma-informed staff to bring in um, nursing staff because their nurses there just had no idea what was going on they were accusing me of being on drugs because I had um, dilated pupils you know that's flight or flight I was very distressed I'd just broken my neck and they were not taking it seriously they weren't listening to expert advice and they were putting my life at risk so I was having many episodes in one turn and they were basically blaming everything on mental health and have continued to do so regardless of me bringing all of these workers in who have witnessed these falls and these accidents and and the consequences that it's had on my body as well they've they've witnessed all of this and they're trying to communicate with them and they they will not take their advice it's it's just yeah it's crazy they don't know anything about trauma and they're not willing to learn either I mean, you must have been you must have been terrified i, I mean, was to, yeah, yeah i was and, and the lack of trauma, trauma-informed staff, just you know, just continually exacerbating mm-hmm. the, the situation. 
the, the, you yeah. know, the, the not having and also not having the person you know the person that was that was going to come in with you that is trauma informed mm-hmm. I mean even that in itself is enormous isn't it because this is the person that's going to try yeah. and be able to this is going to help you ground isn't it having someone that understands yeah exactly that's exactly what they were there for and me like Oh, yeah, Lily, we've, we've, yeah we, 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 we lost you slightly, but you'll probably come back in a minute. Oh, sorry. It's okay. Um, yeah. It's okay, you're back. back. So yeah. if, if I do sort of get sort of really dissociated um, non times and defend myself, I can't actually stand up for myself. But if I am, yeah. you know, grounded and feeling safe, then I'm my own best advocate really um i know she inside it out i know how to speak with people and communicate on a level that they can understand as well um but yeah if they get me in that vital flight i just everything's out the window <laughs> yeah thing a lot a lot of people that's the issue with a lot of mental health as well or, and people don't want to learn about it and that makes it a bigger issue because then you don't get the help you need for mental health and then you end up in the worst and, state um, yeah well that's where I am right now (laughs) literally with a broken neck still in bed six and a half months down the road and they still haven't even done a basic assessment of my neck besides my own private um, staff who I cannot take to the hospital because you can't bring your own staff is what they've told me so I had quite a few specialists involved saying you know she's broken her neck she needs to have this surgery immediately um, because my heart is stopping as a consequence and I am having a lot of drops in oxygen saturations as well. Um, so I'm quite unwell. That's why I have the 24-hour nursing services. I haven't been able to stand or sit or even like move my head from side to side. Um, and yeah, I just, everywhere I go, it's like you have CPTSD, so you're fine. You know, I seen a surgeon last week who straight away said, this is the most severe case I've heard. If you're, the symptoms that you're telling me are real, this surgery needs to go place, go forth this week. We need to intervene right now. This is really serious. And then a week later, he comes back and he goes, no, you're fine. Like I've spoken to the seniors. They've said, this is too severe. It couldn't possibly be happening. So it must be in your head. I said, you're going to say that when I have 40 nurses surrounding me with six months worth of evidence. It's like, really, can we just move forward? So at the moment, I'm actually having to wait for a specialist in Sydney to either educate or take over care. But I'm not sure how I'll get there. So, so in a way, Lily, I mean, correct me if this is too, <clears throat> too strong, but you're, you're being, it's discrimination because of your, yeah. your, your trauma history, isn't it? Yeah, discrimination and neglect, you know. Um, I had a choice. I had a choice with my diagnosis. I could have hidden this. Um, My psychologist gave me fair warning and said, you know, you're going to cop some stigma for this. And I just said, you know, what type of a nursing student would I be if I hid this? You know, not everybody is incapacitated by their mental health. At times I am, yes. At other times I am perfectly capable of being my own advocate and speaking for others as well and helping them understand what's going on you know it, it should you shouldn't be put into little tiny boxes and if you don't fit in that box then it couldn't possibly be because 
you know, I've seen a lot of mental health staff too that are like, no, you couldn't possibly have, you know, CPTSD because you're too high functioning. And it's like, but <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you know? So I actually had my diagnosis of CPTSD taken off me for three years and they changed it to BPD, which I was just <laughs> gobsmacked by. I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense, you know? But yeah, through doing my research, it's like BPD is just a symptom of CPTSD. It's how you yeah. display it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and absolutely. at that time, I was angry. <laughs> I was 21, I was angry, and they weren't treating me right. So, of course, I'm going to be a bit snappy. Yeah. Don't blame me. That's horrible <laughs> that you've had to go through all that. Yeah. That's been yeah. a very long ride. And then the switching of diagnosis and, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess what you're wanting is is you're wanting to receive the care that you need, aren't you? I mean, that's really what you're wanting, you know, switching a diagnosis and, you know, it, yeah, I mean, it, I really get a sense of your frustration, really, you know, and, mm. and there's a lot, you know, I'm hearing a lot of the stigma of mental health, isn't it? You know, I guess, and this yeah. is something that I think, you know, a lot of people struggle with. So, you know, someone if someone has has gone through trauma or someone has, you know, I don't even like the word issue really, but if someone, mm. you know, has had, you know, has had struggles with their mental health and say they're mm -hmm. applying for a job, for instance. So yeah. the job will say we don't discriminate. But in my experience, yeah. if people open up about their mental health, they won't get the job. I mean, yeah, no. that goes on frequently, doesn't it? I mean, it, it is this yeah. stigma. And also, this, you know, I mean, I'm on a bit of a role now, but the separation off between mental health and physical health. I mean, yeah. why are those two oh, yeah. separated? It is, it is crazy, you know, and, I, yeah. and I've really, really, it's really become evident for me that these two conditions in particular, you know, EDS, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and CPTSD seem to be the most highly stigmatized against conditions, you know, both at once. So it's like, if they're not connected, then why are they both stigmatized? Like the damage that, you know, that I can do to my own body with just a slight accident of falling to the ground is equivalent to a traumatic car accident but doctors will not take it seriously until it's just way too late you know I was dislocating my hips since I was 15 years old and just popping it back in myself because my sister taught me how to do it you know no one ever asked me if we dislocate our hips frequently and then put them back in because I would have said yeah we do but they just you know glaze over it all you couldn't possibly have dislocated that joint no you couldn't possibly have done that but I'm like I it's happened so many times that I just deal with it you will eventually just get used to it I mean I guess over the years it became normalized really because you you didn't really yeah. receive the care that you needed so you just ended up coping with it as, as well as you could on your own exactly and because my whole thing because we've all got it as well it's just normalized it's, it's we've all got that so that's normal you know like I, I I seriously thought walking around and seeing stars was normal and I thought you know dislocating your hip and subluxing it was normal and yeah just having stomach pains and everything after you eat every time is normal just there's a lot of things that mm. were very much normalized in my family that just is, is not normal and I think yeah this this time that I've gone through now has helped myself and my family see that that's not normal but the doctors here there's just so little education and because both of these subjects are they're not compulsory they have to go and do extra courses just to learn like it took me five years of independent researching just to find out 
how EDS affects the body and how I was contributing to that being in that fight or flight state. So it's a lot of research. It's a lot of data and they're not expected to do that, which just blows my mind because there's literally two specialists and not a single neurosurgeon that can help me. None of them have any clue of this condition because the condition that I have is, so it's called um, craniocervical instability and it's related to Alessandro syndrome. So basically my ligaments have just stretched out way too far that now my head is like falling off my shoulders and I'm compressing my brain stem a bit. So it's a condition that's directly related back to EDS. So if they don't have any knowledge of EDS, they won't even know this exists or that it's an option that this could have happened to me. It's ridiculous like how these people, all nurses and stuff, and they don't know about these sort of things. You would think that it would be part yeah. of their education, especially in this day and age as well. Like we we interviewed um, people not long ago that we used to work with with learning disabilities, and then we're saying like some of the lack of knowledge is astounding, especially with COVID and the pandemic over and uh, this is it in London, and yeah, they were just ignored because they were. The funding was cut, stuff like that, because they were treated mm. differently. It's discrimination and it's crazy that's still happening in this day and age that people aren't educated on the other things, physical health. People know everything about pretty much. Yeah. And then it comes yeah. to mental health or like stuff like learning disabilities, and it's just swept under the rug and ignored because it's not, mm-hmm. not seen physically. Yeah, and then and again, you know, the separation, you know, between mental health and physical health. I mean, with a you know medicalized model, yeah. I mean, it is separated, isn't it? But but mm-hmm. it's not separate. No. I mean, how could it possibly be separate? Exactly. It's- and I've said this in the entire time I've been sick because it's been very evident in my MRIs and my CTs of my spine how much degeneration has gone on over these five-year period that I've sustained the hospital traumas and each time I would get another scan I would say to them look I feel like you guys are doing this to me like you're not treating the symptoms that are there you're not treating what's actually going on with my spine and so it's just continuing to degenerate everything's continuing to fall apart in front of your eyes and you're just saying you're fine it's in your head go home you know like the gaslighting that goes on in these hospitals because of their lack of knowledge is just a We've lost lost you a tiny bit, Lily. I think you could you'll probably come back in a second. Hello? Sorry. That, no that's okay. out. Uh, well, I wanted I wanted to ask, I mean this is probably going to be a difficult question for you to answer, but I mean I mean how how have you, how do you cope with all this? I mean you're coping with you know with with something yeah. obviously traumatic now. I mean what what I mean, how have you got through all this, Lily? I am just very stubborn. <laughs> I will just keep going and going and just steamroll ahead, um, no matter sort of what happens. But a lot of things that just sort of calm me, are, you know, I've just gotten back into my art, so I'm doing a lot of art and music and meditation and just spending time with friends, people that that know me and I can you know rant to and have them yeah. respond to me and just clarify what's actually going on and just grounding me back in that process I think it's just about staying grounded because yeah. when I do become 
very dissociated, that's when I become very distressed and very stressed. <laughs> so if I have someone there just saying, look, like this is real, it doesn't matter what they're saying. Just just lost you, Lily. You'll, you'll come back, I'm sure, in a second. Oh, Lily, I don't know if you can hear us. We you haven't come back, we've lost you. It's having a few connection issues at the moment. It's a listen as my. But I guess, you know, I mean, at this, ah, we, there you go. we've got you back. Sorry, yeah, just I mean, cut I, out. It's no okay. Worries. I mean, we can, we can edit this. But just in terms of the coping strategy, I mean, these are great coping strategies. You know, I mean, you know, be, you know, talk, talking to people, you know, having, you know, being able to, you know, let up steam and socialise. Oh, I mean, goodness me. I mean, that, you know, I mean, creativity is an amazing coping strategy. Meditation. I mean, it sounds like yeah. you do, you know, all the things that are going to help, really. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I've, I've, I've got a good team on it. Um, mm. I mean, one thing that used to really help me and if, if you can still get out is, you know, being in nature for me is just huge. Being out in the fresh air, like even when I was extremely unwell and right up until my heart started stopping, I was still walking outside to lay down on the couch at least to be out in the fresh air. And I'd stay there all night until about 1130 and then get into bed. But now it's all I have is my window. Yeah, I mean, the being in nature is something we've talked about a lot. You know, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much evidence that being in nature is is, is a fantastic thing for for mental health. I mean, I wanted to ask you if if it's okay, just as much as you're happy to tell us when you do get triggered. I mean, because I think probably people won't always all understand what you know getting into a trigger, getting into a dissociative state is like yeah. i just wonder whether you could if it's okay just for yeah. our listeners maybe explain what, what your experience of it is when you're really triggered so i can sort of give you an example of one of the worst ones that i've had so um basically this was an admission to the alfred hospital um so as i got there um this is when they wouldn't let my trauma-informed nurse come in so I went in with them and I was trying to explain to them sort of what had happened with my spine and um, explain what they needed to do to investigate and what my specialists have recommended um, but the second I got there it was very evident they did not believe there was anything wrong with me they were throwing me around there was no spinal precautions um, they picked me up in a sheet and sort of dropped me on the bed and I just went numb from the lips down um and then following this they just sort of stood there and were like just move your legs you're fine just move your legs I was like I can't feel my body and then I just blacked out um I figured out later that they'd actually raised my bed all the way up and put the rails up and just shut the curtain and that must have been my trigger of just you know complete hopelessness um, I came to in front of the nursing desk, basically calling out for my mum. And I'm, you know, 27 years old at this time and haven't lived with my mum for quite a while. I would not be calling for my mum. I would have been calling for one of my friends or something if it had been, if I was, you know, grounded and uncomprehending yeah. what was going on. But yeah, I was just basically calling out for mummy and asking for help. And they were just laughing and scoffing and, 
sniggering, you know, saying you look ridiculous. And I'm like, Oh God. You know, and I just looked at her and I looked her dead in the eyes as I come back and I just said, Does it look like I have control over my body right now as I'm still calling out for my mom? Like over the top of myself. It's like clearly I'm distressed and this is not right. And I was sweating profusely. Like I was wet. And my nurses could hear me out in the hallway. And it, it took quite a while for them to finally, you know, let me out. Um, they wouldn't give me my phone. They wouldn't let me call anybody, but I figured out I could call them on my watch. So I called a friend of mine that owns the business and um, yeah, she, they let me straight out after that. And I just ran, but their response was, Oh, thank God. That was easy. We got rid of her. And my nurses were like, you know, she's got spinal damage. She should be laying down. She's supposed to be on spinal precautions. You're letting her run around the ED. What are you doing? Like, this is why we came. That's disgusting. God, it's really shocking. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of moving to, you know, you, you're wanting to make change in every major city in the world in, yeah. in, the, in their hospitals. Could you tell Definitely. us a bit, a bit about that, Lily? I mean, this seems an important um, thing. Yes. So I would really love to be a part of the change in this to bring in trauma-informed care. So funnily enough, that nurse that was scoffing at me, I actually said to her when I was leaving, you're going to pay for this when I come back and teach you about trauma-informed care. I said, you're going to realise what you've done tonight. And she just laughed at me like, that's never going to happen. And I got home and my friend Beck, who owns the support worker business, you know, she said to me, oh, you know, the hospitals are giving me a chance to go and do trauma-informed teaching at hospitals and teach them better ways to respond and I said oh can I have a shot at that and she's like oh of course she's like you were the first one I thought of to bring in so that that'll be one of my first things that I'll do is just education wanting to bring education to all of the staff because this is not something that I learned at nursing if I had have learned this at nursing then I would have got help a lot sooner and I probably wouldn't have gone through you know two three years of searching um but yeah it's it's just not common knowledge and it should be um especially the Alice Danlos society so the condition that I suffer um they've realized the stigma and trauma that their their patients go through all the time and I've had in-depth conversations with them and also done a lot of research on their websites they're actually attempting to bring out trauma-informed centers of excellence throughout the world um, and they're asking for funding from every country to fund their own centres. Um, Mel, Australia had no no will in doing this. I, I brought it to their attention quite a few times, the government, um, and I, I didn't even hear a response. So I was like, clearly we're not planning on doing this anytime soon, but um, a centre like that would just eliminate all of the biases. Um, all those workers would be trauma-informed and they'd be able to establish you know what's actually going on with somebody like me if I had turned up to that ED I would have gotten proper care and that's what everyone deserves really you know at this stage I've been told time and time again I don't know what your condition is but I'll treat it anyway and I just don't think any other physical condition has to deal with that you know imagine if someone had cancer and they're like I don't know what it is but I'll treat it anyway it's like you can't I mean arguably Sorry, Joe, go on. It's very, very similar to a lot of mental health stuff. They'd say, oh, I don't know what it is. Like, it took yeah. me, I've got a borderline personality disorder, and it took me till yeah. moving. I'm originally from London, and it took me to moving here, going through probably one of the worst breakdowns 
hard work to go back to London to having constant like mood swings to be diagnosed and I reckon I've had it way longer than I did and no one ever diagnosed me with it until I went to the psychiatrist oh yeah yeah definitely it there's just not enough knowledge out there there's not enough guidance even for the people that have it I don't feel like there's enough yeah because when I did finally get my answers it was just sort of like well deal with it and they throw you on your bum there's not really steps to take after this you have to do your own searching i mean arguably you know and this is probably a big statement but arguably you know all 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 medical professionals should have trauma informed training i mean it just just as you said at the start lily i mean especially in the emergency room i mean everyone that's there is experiencing trauma aren't they probably the worst day of their life yeah. yeah probably the worst day of their life and that's what I said to them what do you do about SA victims I said what happens when they come in you don't have anybody that can sit with them and ground them and bring them back mm. you know it, it was it was just gob, gobsmacking and speaking with quite a few of the disability advocates even at the hospitals it was very evident they were not trauma-informed they had no idea what CPTSD was I said to her at the end, because she was like, the whole time I was telling her my story, she was very condescending and, oh, that's nice, that's nice. And my nurses were like, what's nice about this? Like, none of this is nice. And then I just sort of said at the end, oh, do you know what complex PTSD is? She's like, I know it's called complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I was like, yeah, but what's the difference? I said, what's the difference between normal PTSD and CPTSD? like I'm not a psychologist I said that's not a psychology degree love (laughs) (laughs) no you would expect you would expect them to know that wouldn't you yeah because if they're going to manage it yeah I mean if they're going if you if you're you know experiencing trauma in the present which which you were you know with 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 your neck so you're going through that but if you've got a trauma history then the the, the, you know the staff need to be sensitive to that don't they I mean goodness Mm -hmm. me it must have been so I mean the times when you've kind of engaged with a medical profession and you've been laughed at. I mean, goodness me, I mean, that that must have been so distressing. And that's an understatement, oh. really, isn't it? I mean, goodness yeah. me, it must have been awful for you, Lily. It, I mean, I, I haven't even told you about the worst one yet, if I'm honest. Um, it got worse, got a lot, lot, lot worse when I was forcibly removed from the Alfred. Um, it, they almost killed me quite a few times that day, just from their negligence, just from them not realising how much damage I'd done to my spine and that this was real. Um, and I was laughed at the entire time. I was mocked and wow. <laughs> just ridiculed. It was disgusting. Um, I was on the phone all day begging for my life in front of a nurse, my nurse in charge and my friend who owns the support worker business. So she's the CEO of Heartbeat. So she was there as well. And they both witnessed this and were treated as if they were insane as well. Your resilience is so your resilience is so beautiful. Like it's so inspiring how resilient you've been and how you've put up through all all of this and you're still going. Like I just can't imagine <laughs> having to go through all of that. Like I, I've I've never yeah. I've been lucky enough not to really experience that sort of stuff, but like I know that my nan my nan's been a well before she passed like she's been in quite a few different hospitals where it was terrible with her like um my parents went there one day and she'd wet herself and no one had changed her she still sat in her wet clothes and no one had done anything for her it's ridiculous like she's 
in her 80s and she's sat there she can't communicate that she's wet herself like it's mm. ridiculous that those sort of things still happen and like people it's so good to have you on the podcast to kind of share your story that hopefully the message gets out there more and it helps the funding yeah. come across yeah and, and definitely really, there needs to be a lot more yeah. education yeah but really good you can be part of that really I mean, the, the, yeah. the opportunity now for you to go in, you know, to some of these organisations and talk about your, you know, your, your knowledge, you know, what your experience. I mean, that yeah. is, you know, turning, you know, something, you know, incredibly difficult into something that brings probably hope, I would imagine, for change. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, that's wonderful. You're going to get the opportunity to do that. Yeah, definitely. What's your favourite tip to give to people that you'd like to give to our listeners? Um, so I like to do a lot of my own sort of independent research. Um, I found the CTAD clinic um, on, they just do videos on YouTube as well. He's a trauma psychiatrist. Um, I like a lot of his videos. I find them quite educational and he has some really good advice on how to handle things and breaking down your own mental health. Yeah. Um, did you have any links you'd like us to share or anything with our listeners? Um, um, <laughs> not so much. I've just got, I do actually have a website that I've created in my nan's name. Um, yeah. It's called a, a Touch of Joy International. Yeah. And that's just about bringing that change in. So um, looking towards trauma-informed care and having centres of excellence throughout Australia just to prevent this again. Awesome. Well, we'll thank you for that. I'll definitely, yeah. yeah, I'll check that out. We'll share it with our listeners on our socials. Um, hopefully that we would can be get great. On your website, I'll have a look at it as well after. Um, yeah, that would be fantastic. Was there there is a help section. Oh, there is actually awesome. a help section there as well. So anybody that's in Victoria that, that requires support workers yeah. or, or needs some help, yeah. um, there's a direct link for Upbeat there so they can oh, get yeah. some help through through the organisation that I'm with, um, as well as there's a, a professional side as well to so anyone that wants to offer their skills to this trauma-informed support group. Um, welcome to come forward. Awesome. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? I think that's about it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been very inspiring hearing your story. And I'm really sorry that you've had to go through all of that. Hopefully there's some change coming in, especially with the new leader coming in as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I hope so. And having that new doctor come in, I hope will be a good change for me. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. It's lovely meeting you guys. Thank yeah, you, you too, Lily. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I mean, I think a lot of people that, you know, have experienced trauma and I, I think what maybe are experiencing similar things in the healthcare system, I think are going to be really, really inspired by hearing your story. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I hope you. it makes people feel a lot less alone. Uh, thank you. Um, thank you to our listeners again for listening and uh, thank you to Mark for helping co-hosts. Um, we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you everyone.